The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. I'd like to call to order the uh, Committee of a Whole for January 9th. If the clerk could please call the roll. Councilmember Wood? Here. Councilmember Hussein? Here. Councilmember Spadafor? Present. Councilmember Brown? Present. Councilmember Jackson? Present. Councilmember Garza? Here. Councilmember Spitzley? Here. Councilmember Cost? Here. Eight members present. You have a quorum. Thank you. Um, we now have the minutes. Um, for Committee of the Whole, Vice President Garza. Thank you, President. I move the minutes as written for the January 3rd, 2023 Committee of the Whole meeting. All right, we have a motion on the minutes. Are there any questions or concerns? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. This is the opportunity for public comment. If there's anyone in the audience that would like to make Public comment, if you could please come up to the podium, state your name for the record, and you will have three minutes. Uh, good evening, Stan Shuck, 818 Cooper Avenue, also known as Route 19. And I wanna talk about the disaster that we call chip sealing in this city and what the contractor did, and he needs to be held liable. This is destruction of public property. Uh, if you look that up, the way that's done is they, they lay the tar down, they lay the stones down, they roll it with a, with a wheeled roller, and they sweep it, and then they come back and seal it. No more than a 48-hour process. It says in every informational video you'll ever watch in my 34 years at public service that once the damage is done and the gravel is bounced off and the epoxy is exposed, there is no repair. There's no fixing it. That's like that permanently. What the contractor did is he came in August in Route 19, and he put the, put the two layers down, and then he was non-existent. They came back in October. After many calls, I finally spoke with Alec Malvitas. He, was, he had the oversight on it. He dictated that down to his assistant, Mark. Mark tried repeatedly to get a hold of this company, out-of-state contractor. Tried repeatedly, emails, phone calls, everything else. They, they just wouldn't answer anything from the city of Lansing. I'm sure this is a very expensive contract. Finally, they got a hold of them at the end of September, and they came out in the first part of October and started finishing these roads. Because that happened, there is just gravel everywhere. I put a video out there. I've sent you many of you videos. You can literally go out in the middle of my road with a flat shovel anywhere on the road, anywhere in the neighborhood, scrape it along the ground and fill a shovel with gravel. It's a hazard to pedestrians. It's a hazard to motorcycle traffic, to bikers. It's, it's being tracked into the driveways, into our homes. Uh, you know, what do we do with it? In my gutter pan alone, I swept up 15 gallons in one day. I could probably do that again today. Well, after that happened, they came through with the leaf pushers. And everything that wasn't loose, 
got loose. And I'm going to read this to you, and this is from the equipment operator himself after he watched my video on the city, on the city's uh, complaint thing. The road was chip sealed, straight grinder on the leaves, and they didn't have bodies to put someone in a sweeper. I was supposed to finish a route with Terry and a sweeper behind me on days yesterday, but instead they put me in another route. And there it is, right from the horse's mouth. I've called a dozen times. They've put me on hold, they blew me off and blew me off and blew me off, and no one will even come out and have a look at it. This is a disaster. The contractor needs to be held responsible. If he's not going to be responsible, the people who contract him need to be, and that's us, people. We need to clean this up. They're going to blow a little smoke at you, say they can't sweep this time of year because it's too cold. That's an absolute falsehood. Thank you. You cannot use water but you can sweep and vac. Right. Clean it up, do the right thing. Thank you, Stan. Is there anyone else from the public that would like to address the council at this time? Seeing none, we'll move on to our first presentation. Uh, we have a presentation from Andy Kilpatrick talking about the 2022 uh, street project update and the 2023 planned street projects. Mr. Kilpatrick, if you'd take a seat at the desk and then make sure that the green light is on, you know the drill by now. Right. Uh, thank you, Council Members, Council President Wood, for the opportunity to come um, present to you tonight. I believe I did forward to Sherry. Um, kind of an updated list, and if you had that, great. Otherwise, I have extra yep. copies here. Now, I appreciate you printing those off, and we can put those in the back for anyone that would like a copy. Uh, council members, um, this is date-stamped. Uh, you received one by email, but this is an updated one that came in the, um, this afternoon. So that's what you have in front of you. Right. Um, so obviously, this is street by street of all the streets we did with the dollar amount. As far as categories, I'll kind of go broadly through them because that's maybe a little easier than trying to pull them together um, from the list. But the largest project that we had is our CSO 034E project, which is on both sides of MLK, south of Mount Hope, at about $18.1 million. Then after that, um, large multiple pipes under the river between Moores River and Scott Park, Morris Park and Scott Park. Um, so you're not really gonna know about that, but kind of by GM. And that serves sort of the, the whole upstream area, the uh, Colonial Village area and the Morris Park area, about $8.7 million. Then on the road projects, the largest home we have is Pennsylvania Avenue at about 2.9 million. And as you know, that one is not complete. Now that will be completed in the spring. They will finish up the sidewalk work urban gutter and paving of that, so that will be opened sort of when the plants open, so hopefully by May-ish that will be done. Um, and we also had two other major street projects, Miller Road, that was close to a million dollars. That one other than some um, structures, some drainage structures there that have to be basically sort of cut out with a concrete collar put around that, and that will be done in the spring. That one is done, and then Waverly, which I'm sure no, had to be shortened because the bids came in super high the first time, so we shortened the limits on that. That one is also not completed, um, but it's open to traffic now. And we need to do the final course of asphalt there, 
and then the sidewalk on the west side, that's about 1.9 million. Uh, we had a large project, water main and road project in Alpha Devonshire, Tranter area with the Board of Water and Light at about $3 million, and then kind of overall paving and reconstruction at two million. Um, river trail projects, which obviously are not on roads, but that's about $5 million primarily funded with Ingham County Parks and Trails millage money. Then what we call preservation treatments. So those are shorter duration, but more cost effective. Um, the ones that uh, I think we've already heard about, some you know, chip and fog seal with microsurface and the intent of those is basically to keep the water out of the road base. So just like with a car, if you change your oil and other fluids more regularly, you're not gonna have long-term problems. Same thing with this, you wanna keep the water out of the pavement. Um, so that's kind of something newer we've been doing. And again, we do not get the life that we could, would from a repaving or a full reconstruction, but on a per year basis and per mile basis, it's much more cost effective. Um, and then we have a resurfacing several streets for 600,000. So that's kind of overall big categories there. Um, I've looked at ways that we could kind of change this table. And so if you have suggestions of how you'd like to see it, um, we did not do it by you know area of the city or major versus local street or anything like that, but we do have the data and we can pull that together. Um, and if you'd like to see it in the spreadsheet so you can play with it yourself and sort things, we can definitely do that. But there's probably some other categories we need to add here because this is construction cost, but we have engineering costs. So if you wanna look at the entire cost, it would be more than this. And some of these, for example, sewer projects, the CSO has water main in with that, plus the road, plus the sewer. So if you wanna see those split out, we can split those costs out, but they're just kind of combined here. All right, we'll open it up for questions from council members. Do we have questions from council members? Uh, I have uh, Vice President Garza and then council member uh, Jackson. Thank you, council president. Good evening, Andy, thanks for being here. Uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your night to uh, present this. I guess I, I have a, a, a comment, question. Um, I, I reached out to you back when they were re redoing, I believe you said it was a chip and fog seal for Northrop from Cedar to? Yes, Northrop, Northrop North, Washington. Yep, we were doing Northrop that same from area. Washington yep. to Cedar, correct. Yep. Okay, so I asked you if you could send me the, the information of like the, um, uh, the application process. I, I never received oh, it, okay. but I did look up, um, uh, like uh, Mr. Shuck said in the, in the audience just recently, the YouTube videos, and they mentioned that um, you know, within 48 hours, you should sweep up the the, um, the gravel. And you told me that if you let the gravel sit, it will get into the cracks and, and that's the, the process. So I, I guess I'm just trying to see what the exact um, application process is because I never received it. Okay, so apologize for that. Um, but basically, so we have, if you look at rural roads, a lot of times they will do just a chip seal so that they will put down the asphalt emulsion put the stone on top of that. In a lot of cases, in those areas, if they do not have curb and gutter, they don't really sweep that much because a lot of it just will go on and become a gravel shoulder. In the city, what we do is we put an extra application of emulsion on top of that. So that's the fog seal. Um, in this case with the contractor, we did not have specifications for when they had to come back and do it. We had a specification by what time in the year they had to finish it. And so in some of these streets, and actually it wasn't as much on the south side, but more on the north side, they pulled off 
for a number of weeks, and actually probably a month plus before they came back and did that. So in that case, you probably have more stone that leaves the roadway than we would like, and that's something we will write into you know, our new specification for a maximum amount and a minimum amount, because what we like to see is about a week, a week to two weeks to have that stone try and work its way down into the cracks. Then they come sweep, and then they put the seal on top of that. So that's, that's something that we'll you know, kind of address moving forward. Just to follow up real quickly on his question, if um, you're not sweeping it up and it's going in the gutter area, is that not then going into um, the, the drains that then has the potential of clogging those up since we don't suck those out anymore, we don't vacuum those out anymore, um, so then you're not having water leave the roadway. So it is the possibility there. So it depends on the rain you get. If it, just because it gets into the gutter pan does not mean it necessarily gets into the, the inlets for the storm sewers. But yes, that is a possibility that if it does get flushed out in there, in those storm sewer catch basins, they have a sump of a couple feet below that, which is to catch the debris. So just because it gets in the sewer doesn't mean it gets into the downstream pipes. Um, we still are cleaning those, probably not as frequently as we would like to, just like we're not street sweeping as much as we used to. Um, so there is a greater probability of that. The one good thing about storm sewers versus sanitary sewers or combined is storm sewers in general will flush themselves out more than a sanitary sewer because you get that, you know, that, that storm, that rain that comes down, a big surge, it'll flush those debris out. But no, it's, I mean, that is why, honestly, we have not historically done these type of treatments is because we wanted to try and keep you know everything out of the catch basins and so that's something that we're we're looking at and trying to make sure that the um, our special provisions or specifications are tighter so that if a contractor once they apply this we don't care necessarily when during the construction season season they do that once they put down the first coat with the the rocks there the stone that they have x amount of time before they have to come back and pull that back out. And we've had other cases where we've done that and we've, we've tried it also on unpaved roads, which it will work not long term, um, but if we don't get back in a certain period of time, you'll start to get kind of that, that washboard effect on that street and we did have that, I believe it was down on, on Ruth or Willard or one of the ones we, we did it on. And so that's another reason we wanna make sure that they come back more timely fashion. All right, thank you. I have Councilmember Jackson and Councilmember Spitzley. Thank you. Just, I guess it was partially answered, but to follow up um, on Stan's question and concerns about the timing, you said on the north side that there was like a month or so gap. Correct. Would it be safe to say that was the same um, here on the Cooper Street and around there? And is it a, I mean, did you guys check it out yourself? I would, I mean, we, so I would have to check with the project engineer on that to see the dates that it was applied versus reapplied. I do know that the ones on the north end, specifically between Saginaw and uh, Oakland Grand River area there, those were out for an extended period of time before we, the contractor came back and did the, the final fog seal on that. So I can, I can look at dates on specific streets um, and let you know. And I guess the last part is, so if, if it is 48 hours or so and they went months or whatever it was, wouldn't that be kind of out of the, the way that 
people do it and maybe outside of their contract, if you will? So right now we do not or did not have any kind of provision. We, it has, you know, the type, the amount of application they have to, the temperatures for that, but not a time in between the applications. So that is something that we are writing into our specifications now. So there's basically a minimum, like they can't put it down one day and come back the next day and put the next layer on. But they also can't wait a month to do that. And in that case, then we would have provisions in there that they would have to um, probably reapply uh, basically a whole nother coat because you want some of that stone to stay there. And if that's gone, then you're not sealing anything in. You basically are almost like when you seal your driveway, you have two coats of that and you don't get the, the advantage. So um, it's probably that they would have to take care of um, both any stone that would not be on the roadway and may have to do something else for us. So that is something because of our experience this year that we are writing specifically into that. Whereas what we had now, we basically had a, a final completion date um, for the year that they had to have which they met, but they had a, an extended period of time, which is not what we want. Right, and I'm sorry, but wouldn't there be a best practice? Oh, definitely. That, that they are, that the company's aware of. So if they go outside of that, wouldn't it be kind of like their fault also? Well, Yes, but contractually, they're only, whatever we have in writing is what they have to comply with. At that point in time, if they're outside of what we have in writing, we can go after them, but we can't go back and say, well, you didn't do a good job, come back and do it for us. And we can look at that in the future, but not within our current contract. Thank you. Excuse me, Councilmember Spitzley, then Councilmember Hussein. Thank you, President Wood. Um, thank you, Andy, for coming and, and giving that update. But I specifically, though want to so what recourse does a neighborhood or a citizen have if they're experiencing what mr shock is experiencing and do you know do they call you and you guys come and look at it and evaluate whether or not there you know this happened and whether there needs to be additional steps taken yeah, I think the best course, um, so on the city, the Public Service Department's website where we have our construction project map, on each of those it actually does have the name of the project engineer. And so that would be the quickest, probably best way um, to get in touch with someone that could actually take care of, you know, whatever has to be done with the contractor. And if they're not getting um, the response there, then I would suggest calling either our office or the operations and maintenance office or up to the mayor's office or council for someone else. So, if well, and I appreciate that um, from the testimony. It sounds like he's already done that, and so I'm going to personally ask if you would go and review that and just look at the road for me, please. I'd really appreciate it, and just see, you know, just go down Cooper Street. Um, I don't know what his address. I know you said it. Okay. The 800 block of Cooper Street, and just 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 go and take a look. Um, if you could have somebody do that, I appreciate it. Thank you, okay. Councilmember Hussein. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a huge issue all across the city. Really, um, we've got complaints from Northrop, from Cooper, uh, from Washington. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, I appreciate that we're fixing the deficiencies in our contract that we don't understand were there in terms of not having the limits in the in the. Uh, in terms of the maximum and, and minimum amounts of time between the the stone and then the and then the final seal, um, but I think you know just to piggyback on on some of Councilman Jackson's uh, comments or questions, um, I cannot believe that there's not some clawback 
uh, for the fact that that final product um, is not what the city contracted for. The reality is you talked about large swaths of, of roads not having the, the stone that they're supposed to have because an application wasn't put on um, appropriately. Um, and that, that's what we're experiencing. So I really struggle that those contracts would be closed out uh, by, by our engineers uh, without them going out and saying, this is, this is absolutely not up to, to snuff. I mean, they have not been closed out yet. So okay. there's some work, um, especially on the, the far north side where there are a couple roads that um, they have to go back and do some. So we can look, if there is actually a performance standard in there, then we can go back and look at what's in writing. But again, if it's not in writing, then contractually, um, I think it's tough to enforce, and we can work with the city attorney's office on that to see if there are other provisions. I would just look at those things very critically before yep. before closing those out. Uh, the other thing is you did mention um, Miller Road, uh, and so we do have the issue with the manhole covers and the fact that the road is not flush, um, and so I know they're going to come back before Correct. that's closed out and Correct. fix that. Has there been any discussion with regards to that kind of mound of asphalt that's been put in front of North School? We've gotten a lot of complaints about that as well. Yeah, that's we're looking at that also, and whether um, we would try and have the contractor do it, our own staff do that. And essentially the, the reason for that is they paved the side street first and then matched the Miller Road grade up to, to that. And it is definitely, I mean, I've driven it and it's noticeable. Is it unsafe? I don't think it's unsafe, but it's not necessarily the you know, final product that we would want um, for something like that. So we will address it. I just don't know whether it will be within the contract or it will be with our own forces to mill off the section and make those grades a little better. Okay, and then lastly, I, I really appreciate this construction map, and, and frankly, I think we've gotten a lot of projects done, um, and that's exciting. You talked us a little bit about, um, I don't know, maybe it's the science behind it or the politics behind it. How do you determine, outside of, as an example, state-funded projects, how do you determine which road projects get funded in any, um, in, sorry, in any construction season? Um, so, obviously with CSO, that's a whole other thing. We're mandated to do things, we have a schedule for that. With our major street projects that have federal funding, we look at candidate projects around the city. We have a whole list based on um, the condition of the road, whether there's sewer or water main work or something else that has to go on with that. And we really just look to fit those into the budget we have. Generally, we'll have about a million and a half federal dollars each year through Tri-County Regional Planning. And so we'll try and figure out how to, to make that work. Uh, we try and pick larger projects simply because the extra steps going through a project with MDOT um, makes it such that with small projects, it's really not cost effective because we have to have full-time inspection out there. Um, we have to go through the MDOT bidding process and in general, we get higher prices going through MDOT and having them bid it versus having us do it ourselves. So we'll start to do the smaller projects with our funding and with the federal funding, we'll do the larger projects. And do, I'm curious as to how our PACER rating system and maybe even citizen complaints do, I mean, do those come into play at all? They do, but only to the fact that the more complaints we have and we go out there, then we look at how cost effective it, it is to keep going and filling potholes versus doing a fix on the road. Um, so, and you may be getting to like, do we look at a geographic distribution or anything? And we don't necessarily, we try and spread different projects around, but we're not going to take a specific project and necessarily say we need to touch all four wards. So um, certain projects like these, these maintenance type of projects, preventative maintenance projects, 
depending on the PACER rating, you can't do those. I mean, if, they're, if the road has failed, you're not going to do it out there. So we have a limited number of, of projects that we can do or roads that are candidates for certain type of fixes. So um, since those are the most cost-effective solutions, we will do as many of those as we can for the roads that meet those criteria. And then we start to look at um, projects that are more long-term fixes. And with those, we try and either, if the Board of Water and Light is doing a project, a water main project, we will partner with them on that. Or if we're gonna, we need to do a sewer project, we will do that at the same time. Otherwise, we try and avoid projects that have either sewer issues or water main issues so we get as many miles as possible on the roadside. So it's, it's not an exact science. I mean, there's an approach we take. Um, but we have probably a dozen candidate projects and we may pick three or four of them. So any, any input you want to give, that we can take that, certainly. Um, and you know, it's just a bunch of engineers trying to figure out what we think makes sense with both, you know, possibly also consumers energy if they're doing a project in the area, um, but any other things we have coming up. The other um, thing we look at is with CSO, we don't want to have a project that say is going to last 15 years on the road if we're gonna be in there 10 years for CSO. So we might do a short-term fix knowing that the road is in poor shape now and CSO is coming along and whatever that time period is, so try and have that fix so that it matches kind of the time frame until we're in, in doing something major, which again, I guess I'll kind of go into a little bit into 23. You know, if you still have 22 questions, we can do that. But that is why in 2016, we did one inch of asphalt on Michigan Avenue, thinking that BRT was going to be coming along at some point in time. We all know that that has not happened. Um, and that road has lasted a lot longer than we thought it would. But that's why we didn't do any kind of significant um, project on Michigan Avenue at that point in time because we, we thought there was going to be a major investment on that corridor with our project. Sure, and, and so you kind of hit on one of my, my issues uh, in terms of geographic distribution. I mean, if you look at the map, and this isn't, I mean, this is kind of a historical issue, frankly, that precedes, I think, even your time. Um, but if you look, you know, particularly out of the street, uh, outside of the street demonstration program that we have going on in Leno, um, there's almost no dollars um, that have been plunked down in Southwest Lansing in terms of roads. Um, but you have quite a bit in the fourth, quite a bit in the, in the first, and then a little bit in the second. Um, so it feels like South Lansing, again, without, outside of the CSO, um, continues to be underfunded. Uh, beyond that, if you look at historically, if you look at census tracts and you look at um, a median household income, I think what you also see is that you have economically depressed areas uh, that have also been disproportionately underfunded. Uh, and so we have, we've, I've struggled with that as well, and that's why I continue to ask the question about the citizens' complaints. Um, and although that might not be the, the determining factor, it does sound like um, where you have those, those areas where you have neighborhood associations and you have some privilege built in within, you know, in terms of people know how to use the, uh, the government's infrastructure to onboard complaints and things like that, it does seem like they get a little bit more uh, attention uh, from the city. And so uh, we actually have a public service board for several years now, um, and we've adopted uh, this as part of our uh, budget policies, but our priorities um, has actually asked us to consider uh, economically depressed areas and really getting in there, studying and then plunking money down in the infrastructure because that's a huge, huge impact on, on a number of things. As a matter of fact, that's what we're studying with regards to the street demonstration program at Leno. What does it do with regards to property values? What does it do with regards to public safety? What does it do with regards to, and it, we know it has an impact on all of those. We just want to be able to, um, you know, be at, as an example, be able to go to the state and actually show that scientifically. Um, so I think it's, it's critical that we're not just, and I, I appreciate um, that you're saying so it is cerebral, um, but that we're not just, you know, appeasing people and plunking money down maybe where uh, we plunked money down in the last 10, 15, 20 years, but we're really getting out there and fixing the infrastructure really across the city 
Um, and then again, taking a look at some of these areas that uh, maybe have not done a great job or maybe just don't know how to advocate for themselves. Okay, thank you. Thank you, uh, Council Member Garza. Thank you, Council President. And, and I just, I've, I'm looking through this and I appreciate this. Uh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how come Schaefer Road was $2 million when there's no curb and gutter, same application process as, and almost the same length as Wabash, and Wabash is uh, $90,000. So with a lot of these, if, and it may not say it with this specific one, but that was the entire contract for multiple streets. So we didn't necessarily split them up by street. So I think we have some contracts that there's you know one for the Alpha Devonshire area, all those streets, and each street will say $3.2 million, but that was the entire contract for that. Um, so with this, if it would help, we can go back and just proportion it by length of that total contract amount. It won't be exact because, you know, depending on what the treatment was, um, it's not necessarily by foot or by mile, um, but it would give you an idea of, of what that cost is per street. Where some of these, um, I believe there were a, a couple there um, that, that you referenced that actually had a different treatment at the end. They had a microsurface surface treatment and they had I think one was 90 and one was 85,000, but they were, they got the same base treatment. Um, this was just a kind of another trial we, we looked to see because some people were saying that just the, the chip and fog was a very rough surface afterwards and they couldn't go out and, you know, rollerblade or play basketball or whatever they, they did in the street. And so there are a couple that we added something additional on to see um, how that might work and how cost effective that was. So. The number on each specific line is not necessarily that street, because uh, I believe all the CSO streets, they all say $18.1 million. Um, so we, we can definitely break this down so that it's kind of on a you know, per foot basis proportioned out. Uh, so you'll see how much we spend on each street. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm seeing that you have a separate price for Northrop, which touches Schaefer. You have a separate price on Miller, which has curb and gutter, the storm and sewer, sorry. Um, and and uh, Schaefer's more than twice as much as Miller. Yeah, I think again that's probably the entire project amount. So so Miller was a, a specific a separate project. Miller was bid out separately, so we have that actual amount. Waverly was separate, Penn was separate, but some of these treatments that had multiple streets, um, they would have you know just just one cost in here for the entire project. But we can definitely go and look at that. And if there's a reason Schaefer was more, I can let you know something else out there but I think with a lot of these if they're multiple streets they had the the total project cost for that project for all the streets is listed multiple times so if you went and added all this up you'd probably get a couple hundred million dollars okay. um, but um, that could be definitely confusing so we'll go and you know s separate that out by street which would be an estimate um, it won't be exact because we didn't track the cost by street but all right well I appreciate that explanation thank you I think that'd be helpful Councilmember Brown thank you Councilman uh, thanks Andy for being here uh, you, you talked about, uh, my question is about the contract not kind of having some specifications. Uh, what is the process in which we contract with people and then how do we prevent uh, this challenge uh, going forward uh, with any new contracts? So what we do normally if we have a new type of work we're putting out, we will get something from somewhere else. I believe we, we may have gotten this one from Grand Rapids or somewhere in that area. We'll just use theirs the first time through and as we are figuring things out, then we will modify it as necessary to address concerns we have out there. I mean, we had a project years ago on, on Jolly Road, west of Aurelius, that the contractor came out, did some work, decided to leave for a month or so, and 
we had nothing in there other than the total completion date at that point in time that we could go back to say, you're not doing what you're supposed to. We have since put it in there that we have an entire time frame or a window that they could do the work, but it says that once they've started the work, they have to work continuously until it's done. So that is something you know that we went back and changed the specification based on, a, on an issue we had. And so we would do the same thing with this to prevent that long period of time. Not necessarily that they can't do it over three or four months, but once they start a specific street or multiple streets, they have to follow that in sequence whatever you know, time frame we put in there. And if they don't, then we have liquidated damages that are put in there to you know, address any type of extra costs we might have for mainly inspection. And if there are performance issues, then we would have some way to, to go address that with a, the contractor. Because if they did not um, conform to the specifications, then we, we do have provisions in there. Okay, thank you. So if you use, for example, a contract with Grand Rapids, you use look at multiple uh, other cities for framework and then also do you go to that city and say what challenges did you have when you um, you know um, implemented that contract did they have any challenges where they could add their foresight before we move forward with uh, something that they started with because it sounds like um, while you guys are doing your due diligence this has happened before and it's a kind of reactive approach and then you know we end up with challenges that we can't hold anybody accountable to I think this is the first time we've had one that affected that the project I mentioned on Jolly, it didn't affect anything performance-wise on the road or the contract or the cost. It was just the, for the fact that we had traffic control out there for weeks with nothing going on. So from a PR perspective, it didn't look good, but the final product was exactly what we expected. Um, in this case, yes, the, the way the contractor performed the work affected or could have affect you know, the long-term durability of the project. And that's why, at least on the, the federal projects, for example, Michigan Avenue now, based on the dollar amount that is, we will actually have to have a warranty on the pavement for that, which is you know, specified by the state that they have the warranty there. Um, the reason we don't do something like that with, for our projects is, in general, warranty is like insurance, and you're going to pay for it. So if the contractor you know, thinks it's going to cost them a little more, they're going to charge you that extra. So in general, we have a 12-month a 12, 12 performance Know, on all of our projects, uh, sidewalks are a little different. Sidewalk is three years on that, and that's something that if we continue to have issues, even if we change our specifications, we can look at something else that we put in there, some other provisions, and we'll probably reach out to other folks that are using this a little more to see if they've had you know, any other challenges. But we do, when we get the original specification, we do reach out to the agency that's doing it to say, hey, can you give us any pointers on what's worked and what hasn't? Okay, thank you so much. And lastly, uh, to uh, Council uh, Member Hussein's uh, point about kind of the science behind, uh, do you guys have um, maybe uh, he, um, public settings where people can put input where they feel uh, some of the projects, you know, that they're really concerned about in the community? And then also, is there somewhere that you provide the overall justification of this is what we're planning this year and these are the reasons why? Um, so, you know, so that way it can be a collaborative community effort. And I don't think we've done that historically. We can say why we pick you know, certain projects. Um, but again, I'm not sure, and maybe you would like to have the community pick projects, but we would at least put out kind of the type of projects and the reason for them. I mean, there's just because a project, again, going to like the worst streets, if we did worst streets first and reconstructed all of our streets, we would probably get maybe a quarter of the miles that we do now, and then the ones that are in good shape are gonna be in poor shape, so from an asset management approach, 
that is not the approach we want to take because long term that means our roads will be getting worse for the first year in a long time they've ticked up just a little bit now and we want to continue that trend but certainly as far as people um, expressing their opinions of you know what matters to them and us explaining why we're doing certain things that's something that, that I think we're, we're definitely open to doing thank you so much all right, uh, Councilmember Hussein. Yeah, most of my follow-up questions were actually just asked and answered, so I appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Shuck did say something at the podium that had me thinking, though. If we had somebody that you know pretty much did the, the contractors of the city's work and they picked up this loose gravel, what's the appropriate way to dispose of it? I think he talked about some 15 gallons of gravel that he picked up. If it's in a specific location, I mean, we could probably make arrangements to, to pick it up. So they should call uh, O&M? Yeah, that would be the best way. Okay. Um, and then beyond that, um, I did ask folks uh, to, to reach out with regard to Southwest Lansing roads and projects. And Andy, we, we continue to hear about Waverly uh, between Miller, I'm sorry, Miller between Waverly and Pleasant Grove, continue to hear about Pleasant Grove between Mount Hope and, and West Holmes, as you know. Um, in the Churchill neighborhood, we hear quite a bit uh, about Connors. Uh, Connors is a huge source of, of concern for those folks over there. And then the Colonial Cooperative, pretty, pretty much the entirety of Bernard. Uh, so there are, I mean, and that's, you know, obviously just the tip of the iceberg, but those are some of the ones that we hear about the most often. So hoping that you guys have something uh, in the works for maybe, you know, maybe not this construction season, but maybe <coughs> an upcoming construction season over the next two or three years. Uh, but those are sorely needed. Thank you. Yeah, and those, I know um, Pleasant Grove specifically, that is one of the next, I mean, we're scoping that project now. That does not say that we're going to do it next year or in 2024. Um, but once we scope those major street projects, those are the next ones. Local streets are more hit and miss. We kind of wait until the winter and see which one's completely <laughs> blown apart. And again, if the Colonial Cooperatives, if that also needs water main and sewer and everything else, it's a much bigger project, so it may take longer. But at a minimum, for those that you know people would bring up, we can say, okay, we've heard you. This is the reason this is not higher on our priority list because of X, Y, and Z. And so we, we can definitely you know, at least um, give you the rationale and that takes us to Councilmember Kloss, and then I have a couple questions, and then we'll move on to the next. Thank you, Council President. Um, so I wanted to ask, with this uh, chip and seal, what is the um, lifespan for something like that? It depends on the volume of the street. Um, higher volume maybe doesn't last quite as long. Um, but if you're familiar, you know, obviously as you are with the first ward, wood was done a number of years ago by Ingham County Road Department, and that's lasting pretty well, other than there's some bare spots where there's not a lot of, uh, it's, you, know, you can see basically the emulsion now near the top of the hill there. But we're expecting five to eight years. Okay. Because, um, you know, my concern with this is these streets that are listed, um, I went down them earlier once they were done and gravel was already starting to go into the gutter. Um, and now we are to the point where I drove around um, this weekend on these roads and potholes are starting to reform um, cracks, spots that are completely missing everything. Uh, Mr. Shook's road, I've seen the video on, um, his road is actually, um, I think, in worse shape in some regards than it was before. Um, so, you know, my concern is that this is not lasting. Um, and it's not just an isolated incident, but uh, multiple roads that are not lasting at all. Um, 
so that's just a that's a concern for me. Um, I realize that that's a, co a cost effective measure, um, but it, it doesn't seem like the um, means um, are there for for um, longevity on this stuff. Um, the other thing I wanted to know is what is the turnaround time on um, pothole filling right now? Right now. Um should be 95% of them within 24 to 48 hours, depending on when they were put in and whether it's over the weekend or not. Okay. Um, you, you, as you know, I've contacted you about Sheldon, yep. um, and it is like, you know, a test track for your, your uh, uh, vehicle when you drive through there, um, hitting those giant bumps. Um, and I turned it in three months ago, so I, I just want to make sure that citizens that are using Lansing Connect um, are getting responses or that they're getting through to you and I'm, I'm I don't know if there's an issue there um, so we checked this morning on Sheldon and the last thing we had in our system was from August and everything else was closed out so um, if you had a specific you know number on that we could look back into it but we did put the one you sent me I, I do I, I okay. sent you sent you both of them that are in there okay um, so if you want to check that out oh, okay I'll look at it right. absolutely Appreciate it very much. Okay. And then Andy, just a couple of questions that I have for you. One, um, dealing with uh, Pennsylvania, I know um, Councilmember Garza and myself received um, a number of emails and that from constituents about, you know, the delay in, in getting that done. And now it's bled over into um, 2023. Um, can you tell us what the holdup was and and why and then if you could also um, there's been a number of questions on the reconfiguration is that going to go the length of it um, that and, and could you address that as well certainly um, so the project as far as initial timing and I'm sure you know this has water main too right um, part of it the contract was done well so it went through MDOT and there were some issues trying to get approval for the contractor that was doing the water main that the Board of Water and Light had had some issues with years ago. So it started a little later. Um, because of that, there were also issues with getting pipe ordered. So there were supply chain issues with water main, so that took longer. Um, and then the only other thing is once they got to the concrete work, there's a cement shortage. So there was a limit to the amount of concrete they could get at any point in time, and so that is the reason why kind of at the end of the season that curb and gutter and sidewalk did not go in so as far as the configuration that's out there now that is is temporary the reason there's one lane is we didn't want people driving on the edge of the paved area and going off it because there's no curb and gutter so we striped it as a single lane kind of in the middle of that paved section but it will go back to two lanes each direction when the project is done next year okay and then um, lastly, just as uh, a uh, suggestion, where you have um, Miller and that um, asphalt, why don't you put up a sign that says speed bump? Technically, it's not a speed bump. <laughs> I, I know that, so but, you know, I mean. We, we can look and see um, as far as provisions. We could put up a bump sign. Okay. I think that is fine, but yeah. All right. Okay, uh, with that, I think that does it, and we want to thank you for coming in.
And that takes us to our next presentation, which is the Mayor's American Rescue Plan Act Community Grant Funding. And I believe that the Chief of Staff is going to handle that for us. We're going to take a team approach, but uh, okay. I guess I'll, I'll start. Well, first of all, City Council, thank you for, uh, for bringing this item. Uh, and secondly, also, I'd like to report that we received a, um, a great response uh, for the small amount of dollars, but, uh, but still, we, we did get a great response. And before I give you a little bit of uh, information as to the process itself, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, the number of applications that we received and when we started this, uh, this project. As you know, when the Finance Committee went out and asked for um, applications, um, we received a, a total of 67 applications. And uh, this was for a total of almost $18 million uh, in, in all, when you look at the 67 uh, applications that came in. Or, or to be more exact, it was uh, $17,829,950.70, to be precise in terms of uh, the applicants that, uh, or the amount of funds that were requested for the 1.9 million. Um, you know, as you know through ARPA, the intent of, of the ARPA funds is to help us provide support to state, territorial, local, and tribal governments in responding to our economic and public health impacts of COVID-19, and of course also in our efforts to contain impacts on our community our residents and our businesses, and that's so important. After all that, on November 14th, on November the 21st, excuse me, November 21st, 2022, the ARPA committee convened and we took a look at every single one of these 67 applications that were submitted for consideration for the $1.9 million. Of the 67 applications, uh, we did recommend a total of 27. As far as the process itself, the ARPA committee's prime directive was to review and recommend qualifying applications and to fund within the amount requested. When reviewing, I hate to interrupt you, but sure. could you give us a definition of qualifying? And I will in just okay. a second. That's, that you. comes next. Um, so when, uh, when reviewing uh, these applications, the committee members agreed to the following protocols. And when I mean protocols, these are some of the rules that we, we asked besides the application itself, because the application asked for specific information and things of that nature. But the committee ourselves, when we looked at this, we made sure that the uh, request complied with the ARPA regulations themselves, that the uh, request uh, fell under an ARPA usage uh, category code, and that we use the matrix uh, that I worked on as a guide as we when we evaluated these uh, these applications. Um, I believe uh, we did provide you with a copy of the of the matrix, and these are some of the things that we looked at when we evaluated these uh, applications. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we talked about the the COVID impact that the application would have. We asked for their financial uh, background and information. We asked also for a project description of the, of the application. We looked at economic impact. We also looked at the completion of the application. We looked to see um, the type of public health emergency it had. We also asked um, if it was self-sustaining. We, if possible, we also asked them to identify some type of performance measures. 
and then also the type of organization that was requesting uh, for this uh, for the application. And uh, obviously, the key the key factor when we looked at uh, the organization was to make sure that they provided service to the citizens of Lansing. Um, a copy, as you know, of the full application has been provided to you, and uh, and also a copy of the matrix. Uh, to date, I'm proud to say that we have informed uh, all of the uh, applicants, uh, both those that received uh, the funds and those that did not. The one good thing about this, well, there's many good things when we took a look at this application, but whenever an, an applicant was not or did not meet the qualifications or we weren't able to fund them because they, they weren't in compliance with, the, with, um, with ARPA, uh, we did um, give them some recommendations as to other potential funding that they, may, uh, that they may qualify. Our finance department will be working with our qualified applicants to, um, to complete uh, an agreement with us. And in this agreement or contract, we're, we're going to be identifying how the funds are going to be used. We're going to ask how, we're going to explain how these funds will be distributed. And we're also going to make sure that they comply with the federal reporting requirements that are needed. And that's going to be very, very key. And again, um, there are many specifics. It depends on all kinds of things. But we do have uh, with us uh, an individual, and that is a uh, Daphne Whitfield, she is our ARPA coordinator, and she'll be working, and she has been working with these uh, contracts to make sure that we provide them with assistance, that we um, help them in any of their questions, and uh, also to provide some guidance and information. So overall, we did stay within the uh, 1.9 million that was allocated to us. I think we went over by just a couple hundred bucks, but not by much, but, uh, but overall, I'm very pleased. Uh, we have been receiving good response from the individuals that did receive the funds, and even those that, that for whatever reason, uh, were not allocated funds, we, we were able to assist them in, in other ways. So with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Do we have any questions from council members? Go ahead. Uh, I think one of the things um, I'm looking for is if we could have copies of your matrix that you did on each individual one so that we could understand how you did your scoring, we would appreciate that. Well, um, the, the matrix itself. I, I have that, Okay, so but I'm talking about, let's just say ABC community service, um, XYZ um, planning, you know, I, I would like to see for the 67 of them, um, your, your results. Okay, I will okay. Uh, address this matter. That'd be great. Okay. Are there any other questions? So Council you would actually like to see the scores of each? Yes. Yeah, I would love to see those as well. Um, and then with regards to the feedback, so you said that feedback to each organization that was not funded, so all four uh, organizations that were not funded was tailored feedback? Yes. So they, okay, because that's Definitely. not what, just so you know, that's not what we're hearing. What we're hearing is that uh, some of these organizations that weren't funded, um, they, they did not know why they weren't funded, uh, they didn't know what their final scores were, and they were not given, you know, any of the, the type of feedback that you're talking about in terms of alternate uh, sources of funding and, and the like to exhaust, they did, they're saying they didn't receive that. May I just clarify something? This is very important. The matrix is just one part of the evaluation. So a person could have received a uh, maybe not a, as high a score on the matrix, 
but they could have, uh, when we looked at the other items, as I mentioned, their compliance with the OPA regulations, um, whether or not they were able to uh, qualify under a specific code, those were also some things that we take into consideration besides the, besides their, uh, their rating. And of course, um, um, we made sure that they served the citizens of Lansing, and, uh, and if they didn't, obviously this was something that, that we took you know, very, very much in terms of consideration. So I'm going to turn it over to Daphne so she can explain a little bit about uh, the discussions we've had. With the so good evening, everyone. Um, so um, I was not a part of the review process at all. Um, and so the, the letters and things that were sent out, um, I am now doing follow-up. Um, with those that received um, the ARPA funding and those that did not receive. And I have received um, very, very good feedback because when this whole process started and we received the applications from everyone, um, I had to reach out to many of the people that put applications in because they did not have all of the parts that were necessary. So in um, having to talk to them, I was very intentional and letting them know that no matter how things play out, you'll be able to give me a call back so that we can make sure more than anything, um, because you're doing incredible work, that we can kind of guide you as to where there are other possible funds that are um, available. We knew going in, the ask was incredible. And we have this $1.9 million and we have this $18 million of people that are asking and all of their work to me is very important. And so knowing that we had this $1.9 million that was going to be allotted when the decisions were made, my, my focus has shifted now to these individuals that did not get. Um, and I made it a point of when meeting with um, you know, Jane and, and um, Desiree and the, and the staff and everything and letting them know, hey, I'd really like to create an opportunity to let them know that they're just as important and that there is monies that is available not only in the city, state, but in, in, a, in a national foundations. There's money available for the work that you do here in the city just to expand and help them to build capacity and sustainability. Um, and so that is what is being focused on right now. I do apologize that they have not um, been reached yet, but the letters and everything, as I understand it, um, they just were receiving them. Everybody's receiving them now. But I personally will be reaching out to them to let them know. And I've talked to, I think, today is Monday, and the, most of the people started receiving the letters last week. I think I talked to maybe eight to 10 people today, and it was kind of like split down the middle. Some received, some didn't. And um, they were excited, you know, because my thing is, is that we want you to be supported. We want you to be able to um, hit that specific demographic that you're working with here in the city to um, serve them and get them what they're, what they're in need of. And so um, my goal is to make sure that that happens now as we work out um, these final details with getting what's required um, for the distribution to occur for the people that got the money. It's also at the same time to make sure that we give information, that we give resources, and a personal touch to those that didn't so they can get the money and continue to work that's just important. That is, that is my, that's my, and the staff's primary focus, is to let them know we, that we got them still too. Yeah, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, truly, uh, there's, when I look at these applicants and I look at the programs that uh, they wanted to be funded, I don't, I don't see a program or an applicant that doesn't have no. value. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really appreciate the fact that you guys are working to empower them yeah. uh, so that they can potentially exhaust other avenues uh, to receive funding. So that exactly. Actually, exactly. But then the other piece is, too, when we don't, we've had other programs uh, in the past, and it sounds like we're finally doing it right. We've had other, other programs in the past where people haven't gotten feedback, and because they haven't received feedback, they simply have given up, uh, you know, in, in terms of other rounds of, of applications with the city in terms of funding, yeah. uh, kind of threw their hands in the air because, they, you know, it took them a lot of time. They don't necessarily have the technical support right. that maybe other groups do. Right. Um, and so you don't want to see that either. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thing. You want to give them hope, you know. I mean, let them know that it matters. So that's what we're doing. Yes. Not trying to do. That's what we're going to do. Okay. I have Councilmember Jackson and Councilmember Brown. Thank you. It kind of goes to Adam's one of Adam's points about all of the valuable nonprofits that's on here. Of course. But I am looking through, and I did see one that I don't know. I have questions about Riverwalk Theater. Twenty thousand dollars. They asked for twenty-three thousand dollars, and it reads revenue replacement and capital upgrades. And I was just kind of, if you can, kind of explain how that got in there amongst all the others. With the, even the ones that weren't. I just don't know. It's a theater. They host shows and plays. And of course, like a lot of places, I'm sure they need capital improvements, probably before the pandemic as well. I just wonder how that happened. So you have, um, and I'm, I'm going to read it to you straight from Marfa. You have four usage areas. Um, one is support public health expenditures. One is um, replace lost um, revenue. You have premium paid for essential workers, and then you have infrastructure. That's water, sewer, broadband, just infrastructure. Um, Riverwalk lost revenue. They lost revenue. You know, um, I think that's the thing that, now mind you, I wasn't um, a part of this review process, but looking at it, I know these applications inside out. When you have a person that um, puts an application in and it's duly stated, they are, they are, they lost the revenue. I mean, I can think of uh, another one without um, being specific that um, lost revenue as well and um, lost the whole source of their income for their nonprofit that they've had for over 40 years. Um, when they were able to show that in their financials that that money was lost for them, that met the requirement for the ARPA funding. But that that. Uh, and then there's like she said, there's other things that they take into, they probably took into consideration as well. Yes. But it is it is a nonprofit entity, yeah. and they do provide service to our community, yeah. and it uh, it is. Uh, it is specific to our to our city, so they do provide many programs that will assist our community in so many other uh, other ways. So uh, again, it is uh, it was looking at all these applications, which we did go every, through every single one of them. Um, we had to make some some tough decisions, and I believe that that the recommendations we made uh, were, were were good, and that they complied within the ARPA regulations. That was the number one thing to make sure that they met ARPA regulations. Yeah. I might not answer your question, but yeah. I mean, I guess I just wasn't aware of all of the community things that the Riverwalk Theater does. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when I'm looking at other places like even the village. I mean, I know about that and I see what they got. It it's depends just... on what they asked for mm -hmm. and it may just not qualify for, for, um, for ARPA. Again, I, can't, I don't know specifically on that application unless you recall that one, but because uh, there's 67 of them, but I'd be happy to go back and take a look at it. 
I can tell you, Council, that for the most part, we did fund many, um, if not all, of the uh, applications uh, that met the ARPA requirements. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Brown. Thank you, Council President. Uh, thank you all for being here. Always good to see you. Uh, you guys made a statement um, when Councilwoman um, Wood was asking a question about the matrix that um, what we see in our packet here, I guess the scorecard, was not the only determining factor. Correct. So I think what she was asking was, what are all of the factors in, in what you guys were looking at? So if there were four different areas, one being the scorecard, two being eligibility, you know, three and four, what, um, where did the people score so that way, it, you know, transparently everyone can see this is why this organization was funded versus another and so on and so forth. So really looking at the full picture of how you all looked um, at the, um, the, the scoring process and, and who was selected in the funding <coughs> amount. Um, and Ms. Whitfield said that she wasn't a part of that process. So just trying to put all the pieces together in one place so we uh, have a greater understanding and of course the people in the community and the agencies, thank you. Okay, so I wanna make sure I understand. Again, the, the ARPA committee members, when we all met together to evaluate the applications, as I stated earlier, we looked I mean, there were many things that we looked at, obviously, but the key factors were whether or not they complied with the ARPA regulations. As I said earlier, that was, that was number one. Whoever we gave these dollars for, we recommended that these funds be allocated to that. Number one, they had to meet um, the ARPA regulations, and that's gonna be very key, especially when we go back and develop the contracts with them and make sure that they provide the proper information, reporting information to us. So that's that's going to be so so important to us. Um, that we, the other thing that we did, we we went a little bit further, is we made sure that they fell under a specific uh, usage category code. So we went through each of them and we went back to make sure. And I think uh, that has already been uh, described in terms of what are some of those categories that they comply, that they meet. So I, so I think with, like, for example, the compliance with ARPA, mm -hmm. um, let's say there's the 60, or 60 organizations, and let's say you said I think 20-something uh, were eligible, and so therefore it would leave about 40 that were not. So mm -hmm. I think what we're asking for is, okay, the 40 that were not eligible, uh, you deemed them not eligible, why were they not eligible? Would that, is that an example? Uh, there are many reasons. Again, I, I, I'd have no, to go I'm back. And, as far as what, what I think Councilwoman well, asked. Well, if they if they didn't if they didn't meet the ARPA regulation requirements, then that that's number one. Depending on their request. So if they did not meet that requirement, um, then we did not we did not consider them. I mean, there was one that asked for, I, I believe, eight or nine million. How big was that? You know, and. Uh, and we, we just couldn't fund. We just weren't able to fund that one. And um, and again, you know, we did we did take a look at uh, in terms of the matrix. And the matrix goes into and I went through each of those categories. So we looked at a lot of things to make sure that that uh, that these organizations uh, uh, provided us with the information that that we felt was necessary in order to help us evaluate them properly. I I, I understand. Excuse me, Councilmember Jeffries. I, um, Councilmember Brown, um, I understand what you're saying, but um, I think, again, it's no different than when we're looking at 
let's say, hiring an employee. We have the tests that we take, we have the interview process, we have, you know, and all of those are scored and come together to make the final determination. We're just asking for that from you as well. If there are five different things that you're looking at, including, you know, the metric on that, then then fine. Let's, if you could give us those in, a, in some type of spreadsheet, that would be, that would be wonderful. We're so, not asking you to do it tonight. We're asking you to, you know, um, to to put that information together and get it to us. So, um, council, one thing that it, that um, eliminated a lot of people is the the very definition of ARPA. ARPA is a one, and that would be fine. Okay, and in, in it, let's say we're saying again. Okay, one, two, three, community funding. Um, it didn't meet. You know, it could be a yes or no. It didn't meet. The ARPA um, requirements, you know, and then the next thing, you know, so that we're looking at it, the public's able to look at it. That's what that's what we're asking for. Okay, right, I think uh, I think I can do that. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I can tell you that each of the each of the uh, each of the applications that that we recommended met uh, the top the top three. Uh, uh, Items that we stated to you in terms of uh, we didn't we didn't give a specific number or value to it. We just simply checked to make sure that they met the ARPA regulations. We checked to make sure that they again. I know I'm repeating myself. Yeah, but I, I get that. Okay, we're looking for an overall so that we can just look at it and understand it. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Are there uh, Councilmember Hussein? Uh, yeah, just one additional item. I guess I'm curious um, as well when. When you had to decide to pare down, and so you look at some of these groups, such as uh, look at Habitat for Humanity, you look at Crystal Ray, you look at um, I believe uh, Carefree Medical, and they were they were fully funded funded in terms of their request, and then some were pared down. And I think the village was discussed earlier. I think they requested some two hundred ninety thousand, and they got ten thousand. How was how did you decide on? I mean, I know it wasn't just an arbitrary decision. Okay, we're going to pare it down to ten thousand. How did you decide on those those final amounts? Was it that? There was maybe one program with several um, that that qualified. Was it that they had other exactly, revenue streams exactly. that you felt could so, fill them, um, backfill? Or, I mean, how did how did you determine that? Exactly. So sometimes an organization would submit a request, and they would because they had to break down for us, you know, how much those funds were, what, what were they for? And so again, looking back at the ARPA regulations, we made sure that they qualified. Some of the things that they asked for uh, did not qualify. Um, but we made sure that so that that's one of the reasons you know we did not uh, give give them all the funds. So that's and that's how we evaluated that. Okay, thank you. Does that does that make sense? I see some some questions. So uh, again, one more time, an organization may have asked for let's say you know ten thousand, and we only gave them five. That was because the um, the one item met the ARPA regulation, so we we gave them the five. Okay, I have Councilmember Garza, then Councilmember Brown, and then we're going to move on to our next item. Okay, thank you, Council President. So I think you just answered it, but I just want to be clear for the public. So I was I was assuming if they didn't if they didn't meet all the different uh, aspects of the ARPA, they were just excluded. But you're saying is if they didn't meet if they met one of them. And, and they didn't meet the other three, they still were granted yes. money, okay. Yes, yes, correct, that's correct. We, if we saw that there was a portion of their application that met the requirements, then yes. And of course, we have limited dollars. 
they're asking you know almost for 18 million dollars and we have 1.9 million so again you know we made sure that uh, we distributed the monies fairly and that we as I said as I stated earlier for the most part the majority of the of the applicants that that we recommended you know met those requirements and we did fund you know city council one 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 last thing we really didn't have to do much paring down when we first sat down each of us and we evaluated each of the programs we just took them uh, and we evaluated them we didn't even consider did we have enough dollars did we you know is there something that we're missing or whatever when we looked at all the the items that I've just mentioned to you. We just simply took them straight on. And in the end, uh, there was very little pairing that we had to do as, as it relates to dollars because, again, there were many that just simply did not meet the, the, uh, the ARPA regulations. There were some that did not uh, provide funds specifically here to our city. There were, there were a few, although we, we did not disqualify them uh, if they were not here in, in our city. The, um, the other uh, qualifying factor was as I stated earlier, that they served the citizens uh, of our community. There are three organizations, I believe, that we recommended for funding that are not specifically here in Lansing, but they do provide specific uh, uh, services to our community. And we're very familiar with them. And just to give you an example, we did fund, as an outside, was the, uh, the, uh, the food, Greater the Greater Lansing Food. Um, organization yes they they may not be located here in our community but we know specifically and we've worked with them in the past and and their program was such that uh, we know that they're going to be uh, allocating their, the use of those funds will be strictly here in the city of Lansing Count, councilmember Brown and then as I said we have two other items before we go into closed session thank you council president uh, yeah so exactly you know uh, council then uh, Garza just uh, said you know that you guys were able to if there's three items and then one item was eligible, you guys were funding that, and that's where you're seeing a reflection. For example, if they asked for 200000 but they received forty, it was for that specific line item. I think that's part of what we were, um, were requesting so the public knows and is able to see that, you know, these are the justifications, so everything is transparent. Uh, you know, this is our justification why this group was funded at this dollar amount. This is what they were not eligible for. This is what they were, as well as their scoring and all of the matrix that you all use. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. And we're going to move, we're gonna move on. Um, next item that we have before us is the appointment of Eric Sudal. If I'm not saying that right, I apologize for an at-large uh, member for the Lansing Entertainment and Public Facilities Authority. Um, Mr. Sadal, are you here? If you would come up to um, the table here in front and um, if you would make sure, um, once you sit down, if, make sure the green light um, is on on the mic. I, you, you'll have to push it to make sure that the green light, okay, good. Um, we have um, your application in front of us and normally what we do at this time is ask the applicant to give us a little bit of history about themselves and why they uh, believe that they would like to sit on this board. So um, if you would uh, please give us a little bit of information about yourself. Uh, thank you. Um, again, my name is Eric Sudal. I'm the general manager of the East Lansing Marriott. 
Uh, I've been uh, uh, at the Marriott for about 28 years. Um, I've been in hospitality for a little more than 30, between 30 and 35 years altogether. Um, uh, I've been appointed by the Greater Lansing Convention, Convention and Visitors Bureau's uh, board of directors uh, to the uh, left to serve on the left of board. So I was elected to serve as one of our two seats uh, on LEFA. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I've been committed to hospitality in the, in the region, and I think uh, I, I have an interest in hopefully serving on LEFA as well. All right, thank you. Are there any questions for him? I see none. Vice President um, Garza, would you like to make a motion? Thank you. Yes, I would move the resolution uh, appointment of Eric Sudall, at-large member, Lansing Entertainment Public Facilities Authority Board of Commissioners, term to expire 6-30 of 2025. All right, we have a motion before us. Are there any other questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. Um, if you would like to stay around, um, you can be sworn in this evening at the beginning of our council meeting, we do have one other item and then we have a closed session. So it should be shortly after seven um, when we get back out. If you don't wanna stay around because you were here at 5.30, um, you're more than welcome to get sworn in by the clerk um, in the clerk's office on Tuesday. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, with that, that takes us to the next item that we have. Uh, this is a resolution for um, out to add um, two um, outside council uh, firms to our outside council list. Um, the first is under um, Act um, 314, the Employees Retirement System as well as the Police and Fire Retirement System have the abil ability to have um, a law firm representing um, the boards. These bo the boards um, have been paying for this out of uh, the pension fund. We also then have another law firm um, that has been engaged um, for collection for debts that are owed to the city for the fire and EMS system. Um, so Council Vice President Garza. Okay, with that, I would move the resolution for the outside legal counsel, Board of Trustees of the City of Lansing Employee Retirement System and the City of Lansing Police and Fire Retirement System. Do we have any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. Um, at this time, um, we are uh, going to go into closed session. We need a motion. All right. Thank you, Council President. So pursuant to MCL 15.268 of the Opens Meeting Act, I hereby move the recess into closed session to consult with the city attorney to consider material exempt from the discussion or disclosure by state statute, specifically to discuss a written legal opinion from the city attorney provided under attorney-client privilege and attorney work product, and which is also exempt from the disclosure under the Freedom of Information Act, pursuant to MCL 15.243. We are also allowing Executive Director Jane DeSessa into closed session with us as well. This is a roll call vote. Councilmember Wood? Yes. Councilmember Garza? Yes. Councilmember Hussein? Yes. Councilmember Spadafore? Yes. Councilmember Spitzley? Yes. 
Councilmember Jackson. Move. Councilmember Brown. Yes. Councilmember Cost. Yes. Motion carries seven one. Thank you. We are going into closed session, and uh, hopefully, we'll be out uh, close to seven. Thank you. Call back to order the Committee of the Whole. We will stand adjourned, and we will um, start our council meeting in five minutes. Thank you.